welcome to the Is That So podcast. My name is Sahela and I am the host and chief content officer here at the Is That So podcast. Follow along each week as I share stories, pose questions, and provide insights on various wellness, travel, and relationship topics aimed to help us all navigate through this rapidly evolving modern world a little bit easier. Here at the Is That So podcast, we believe that life should always be a work in progress. So come learn, laugh, and listen in on unfiltered stories and conversations so that we can open new doors to inspiration, happiness, and forward thinking together. Hello, and welcome back to the Is That So podcast. Today on the podcast, I have invited confidence and self-worth coach, Melissa West, to come on and share her story of what it was like to grow up in a cult and how she found the courage to leave and follow her dreams. But before I introduce her, I just want to let everyone listening know that some topics discussed in today's episode could be triggering. In the case that you are triggered, I have put a link to Checkpoint.org in the description of this episode, where you can easily find a number to your local helpline should you feel like you need it. Further, today's episode is the final episode of season three. So I just wanted to thank all of you for joining me this season and making it the most memorable season yet for me. For over 30 years, Melissa lived in a Christian cult with no voice or power. Living under the rule of her father, Melissa was physically and mentally abused, scared, and trapped. Today, through her coaching services, she helps women and those who are tired of living in fear overcome self-doubt, build confidence, and find their worth so they can live their life boldly too. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me on. I am so looking forward to this conversation with you. Me too. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and for finding the courage to share your story with everyone. I know some subjects can be really difficult to talk about, so I really appreciate you opening up about your experience. Yeah, of course. I have found so much help and healing hearing other people's stories. So I love that I am now in a space where I can hopefully do the same for other people when they hear my story. That's amazing. Can you share a little little bit more about your journey and the challenges and struggle you faced early on in your life while growing up in a cult? For sure. Like you said, I spent the first 30 years of my life living in this really rigid Christian cult. It was a fundamentalist cult and it it was it was soul crushing, honestly. Okay. Um, women had little voice no power. Their worth was really in how much they could support the men, how many babies they could have, how well they were taking care of the home. So growing up in that, yeah, I definitely felt like my voice was was just locked away. I honestly mm-hmm. didn't really know who I was or what I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until someone from the outside befriended me and kind of helped me question and challenged me and really just stuck with me mm-hmm. that I was able to I can kind of say that I borrowed her courage until I learned, you know, until I, I kind of grew my bravery muscles mm-hmm. to be able to leave myself. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of elaborate for us so we can better understand what the belief system of the cult was? For sure. Uh, it's it's complicated. I will try to simplify it of a course, bit. Yeah. So the the thought process was, you know, there's this loving God that we had done something wrong, you know, and we had we had gone against him. And so we had to beg his forgiveness. And then we spent the rest of our lives living in a way that would please him 
Mm-hmm. And what that meant was, you know, God had given all of the power and all of the authority and all the wisdom to men. And so women were supposed to just, you know, follow along, listen, and it was for their own protection. Okay. And so, you know, so many people in this group and in this, this belief system, they are doing the best they can. They believe what they are doing and they're doing it out of love. You know, I always say that I I believe my parents did everything they did out of love. Mm -hmm. I just think, you know, it was a little misguided. Okay. And, you know, the list of rules kind of depended on which group you were in because these groups are kind of scattered all over the U.S. Mm -hmm. And for us, it was women had to wear a certain type of clothing we had to wear long dresses, cover our bodies almost completely, no tight clothing. We were taught that, you know, if we dressed a certain way, we were a stumbling block to the men. A lot of things were worded and phrased in the way that the woman was at fault. Hmm. We didn't listen to music outside of, you know, the hymns that we sang in the church. We didn't watch movies. We didn't watch TV. We didn't read books outside of our community. So it was very very secluded, very one thought process. What would happen if you like read a book outside of the community? So for me, it was a little differently. My dad was the leader. He was the pastor of that church. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a little more severe for me. Okay. When I was caught, uh, you know, because I would have what I thought at the time, I thought I was being rebellious. Mm-hmm. Now I realize I was just trying to be a normal person. Um, if I was caught, you know, sneaking out to the movies or reading a book or there was normally some kind of shaming, sometimes even publicly from, you know, in front of the whole group, the whole group on Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, they would, the group taught, you know, spanking, which is a form of beating children. Mm-hmm. Um, I was spanked. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely, a, no, not just, not just in, in our group for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, sometimes it, it could be a little more intense than people realize we had. I wasn't publicly shamed though by my parents, but so that, yeah, that, was, that was, that was extra special. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sometimes you would think that you were going to get called up for something you had done well. And instead you were getting reprimanded in front of everyone. Wow. Yeah. And, and our group had not just our group, but you know, like I said, that this kind of group is around the country. They had a book on like how to raise kids and it was like methodical mm-hmm. spanking. Okay. And it was, you know, I can almost understand if somebody was angry at you and hit you. But for us, it was like, I'm doing this because I love you and I don't want to do it, but I have to because God says I have to. Okay. And so it put God in this position of like this big angry father in the sky that if you made him angry, he was going to send you to hell. And so you live your whole life with this fear mm-hmm. of, of stepping out of line, the sphere of being found out, the sphere of not living up to the standard. How can you live up to those kind of expectations, though? You cannot. Yeah. You cannot. <laughs> Which was where the shame comes in, because I felt that I was not enough. I was fundamentally flawed. Mm-hmm. And I felt so ashamed anytime I stepped out of line out of what we were told to do. Mm-hmm. So how did you, as a teenager, date or like have experiences with boys? Were you like, did they just not talk about that kind of stuff? And it was just like, okay, when you get married, we'll like reveal the whole secret of <laughs> sex to you or? Yeah, I never dated. I knew my husband. All We grew up in the same group and I knew him 
throughout childhood and, and teenage years. So I did have like a little a little stint in in high school where we like passed notes, mm-hmm. but there was no dating. There was no even when even in my twenties when I started, you know, when my husband was approved and we could date if you could call it that. Mm-hmm. There was no holding hands. There was and you say approved. He was approved by someone else or you, by my you approved him? Okay. No. no did you like, hint so, that you liked him or like did he pick get picked for you? No. So so we could say, we could say like mm-hmm. I, I want to date this guy. And it wasn't really I want to date this guy. I want to marry this guy because there okay. was no dating. And then my dad would kind of vet them, so to speak. Yeah. And and then approve them. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> guessing the divorce isn't a thing. <laughs> no, no, it's not. We had a few people who would get divorced, but they normally left the group okay. within that whole process. Okay. Yeah, divorce was not not an option, not on the table. Mm-hmm. Well, with my track record, it would have gone downhill. I would have left the group after <laughs> the first boyfriend <laughs> or husband because it would have never lasted. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really know much. When I was in my let's see, maybe 13 or 14, mm-hmm. I actually took a book from the library. I didn't check it out because I was so afraid of being caught. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, body development and things like that. And that I read it under my bed. And that's how I learned about, you know, what my body was doing and about sex. And it was it was an interesting way to learn. <laughs> so how did you start to question this lifestyle? Like you said, you met someone that kind of gave you courage to question things. But did you ever, even before meeting her along the way or when you were being reprimanded, feel like this this can't be right or this doesn't feel right or this doesn't feel like it is love. It's coming from a place of love. While I was growing up and into my 20s, I was unhappy and I didn't fit in and I didn't like the rules. But I never questioned whether they were right or wrong. Mm-hmm. I just assumed that it was me. And you have to understand, in this group, they start teaching the two and three-year-olds that they're born sinners. They're born with a black heart. Mm-hmm. And you know, so I've, I had heard that my whole life, and I just accepted it. And then I just thought something was wrong with me. In my late 20s, I did start to see things in the group, really toxic things the way that they would treat women. And it just, I I couldn't figure out what, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew something was off. I knew something was wrong, mm-hmm. but I didn't know how to leave. I, I didn't know how to leave. How do you leave everything you know, your family, your friends, yeah. you know, my husband's yeah. job, everything. We We lived on the property of the church with a few other families. And so I had... <laughs> I had come across somebody online that had sold everything and traveled in an RV for a little bit. Mm, And this was, you know, it's it's more popular now, but at the time it was novel. Yeah. And I thought, that's intriguing. Freedom. Yes, freedom. (laughs) Freedom. And so I, I mentioned it to my husband and I was like, would you be on board with this? And he was like, I guess. So he was also going through a back injury, and we were starting to see the way we were treated by the group during this time. And so it was really like all these little— Because he wasn't as useful, or why? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He was dragging the group down. (laughs) Yeah, he just—yeah, he wasn't—he wasn't taking care of his family like he should have. Okay. And, you know, we had a couple of friends that really stuck with us, but for the most part, we felt so alone. And that's—I think that's Mm -hmm. when we started to question— just what what what's wrong here? 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this this is such a long story, but we sold everything. We moved into this RV. We traveled. And it was right during this time that I met this woman online in a, in a forum for moms. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I had ever been a part of a, a community that was safe. Women would just say whatever they felt and whatever they thought. And if people didn't agree, they would just say, oh, okay, scrolling on. And they offered so much support. Yeah. And I was like, what is this place? When you started your van life, was the intention to like go and never come back? Or were you always kind of like circling back? I don't think I knew. Okay. Looking back, it's clear that we were running away. Mm-hmm. At the time, I think we just wanted adventure, wanted something different. That's kind of how I was playing it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like we're, we're not leaving the church. We're just traveling for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think it was to come back. We ended up on this farm in Alabama, way out in the middle of nowhere, like 30 minutes outside of a town of 400. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. It was the first <laughs> time I felt like I could just take a breath and yeah. nobody cared what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, we still lived by all the rules. We found a group in Alabama just like ours and went to their meetings on Sundays. But it, I had met this woman in this group and she had come up to an event I had. I had like a craft weekend for my birthday and she came up and she was just like... I just say like, she's like this unicorn of a person to me because she said whatever she thought. She was so genuinely kind. Mm -hmm. And I had never seen this, especially from a woman. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I have to have it. I don't know what she has. And so for the next year, our friendship really grew. Mm -hmm. She gave me the space to question, to find my voice, to kind of, you know, build up my brave muscles so that I could, in the group that I was in, I started to out loud question these Mm -hmm. things. You know, I started to say in our meetings, like, why do you get the right to tell me what to do? Why can't I wear what I want? Why can't I do these things? And the group was like, what is happening? Yeah. You know, for so long, I had followed all the rules. I had taught other people to follow the rules. Yeah. Well, because it was out of fear. It was out of trying to avoid being publicly shamed and spanked. As you grew older, like when you were like 15, did you still get spanked or did it change to something else? Like, was there other, because, you know, my my mom couldn't hold me down when I was 15 anymore. (laughs) I was very submissive when I was a teenager, um, Mm -hmm. just because of the environment that I was raised in. Mm -hmm. My younger teenage years, it stopped. Um, And by that point, I was just... I was just obedient. I just did what I was told. And yeah, I I taught classes to other people, to other women. I couldn't teach men and taught them how to follow the rules. And yeah, it was, (laughs) it was interesting coming out of it when I had some of those people that I had taught come back to me and say, you know, you've hurt me in this way. Mm -hmm. And I could really see oh, wow, I'm angry at these other people for doing that to me, and I did the same thing. And that really helped me. This was all coming out kind of when I I started to go to therapy when I got out. And it really helped me to see the people who had influenced me differently. Mm -hmm. I started to see them as wounded people in pain rather than the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I had done. I had wounded people when I was in pain. And when I could see myself that way and I could have empathy and compassion for myself, then I could start to do the same 
Yeah. It usually takes that, you know, bit of stumbling yourself or putting yourself in someone else's shoes or finding yourself in someone else's shoes rather to see like, oh, now I get it. Now I understand why this person did what they did or how they felt in this situation, why they acted that way. Because often we project onto other people our feelings because we don't understand even their position or we can't understand their position. But then once we find ourselves in those positions, all of a sudden the whole world opens up and you're like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. For the first part, you know, after I came out, I was in so much pain and I was really acknowledging the pain and I was Mm -hmm. just really wrapped up in that while I was Mm -hmm. healing. Mm -hmm. And then when it got to the place where people were saying that same thing to me, like you said, it was like, oh, I can see now the other side because Mm -hmm. I've been on, I've been, I've been the bad guy in somebody else's story. Yeah. And that was really eye-opening moment and a really Mm -hmm. humbling moment. Mm -hmm. And it must've been hard too, because you always thought you were doing right by them, you know? And then you're like, oh, am am I part of the villain in this story? (laughs) You know, like you are have to go apologize now, you know? And then even sometimes people are scared to admit it because they don't want to apologize because apologizing is a having a hard conversation or it means that now I have to turn towards myself and like uncover and unpack this part of myself, which, you know, is very difficult sometimes, so. Yeah, it was much easier to be the wounded person than the person who had to admit that they did wounding. Yeah. And I remember we were you know, we had become friends with these people and we were all processing as we were coming out. And they said, do you remember when you said this? Do you remember when you taught this and when you said this to me? And it was like a gut punch. Yeah. And I felt sick. I felt physically sick mm-hmm. that I had said and done those things. And I just had to listen to them mm-hmm. as they were talking. You know, I just had to acknowledge, yes, this is what happened. And I was part of the wounding. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, it was definitely one of the hardest moments, I think, I haven't thought about this in a long time, that I just, I remember clearly where I was and what we were doing and having to admit, like you said, I was the villain in somebody's story. Mm-hmm. I know you mentioned, you know, the the spanking, the physical abuse. Was there ever any sexual abuse? There was when I was younger, probably around 10 or mm-hmm. 11 from from another an older child in the group. Okay. So not not from my parents, not from, you know, any other adult that I can remember, um, mm-hmm. but from, yeah, from an older, an older and person. did that come from a frustration for them or was he like, I'm guessing it's a he? It was, yeah. Did he like prey on you? Was it like a malicious thing? Like I, I'm trying to understand. It, it was you know, not. It wasn't like a physical attack, if that's what okay. you're asking. No, it wasn't. I can look back now and see this person who was raised in a similar environment as me, who had so little education, was... And and was a man, so had more power than you, or was told he has more power than you. Right, and older than me. And, you know, we are taught that everything is our fault, and so I thought it was my fault. And, you know, even into adulthood, I thought... Did I say stop? Did I say no? And I I kept trying to figure out what I had done wrong. Mm-hmm. And it happened a few times. And then I honestly don't know what stopped it. My memories around it are not crystal clear. 
Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, is common when there's some kind of trauma. Yeah. But I also had no, I had no safe space or I didn't think that I had a safe space to tell anybody. Yeah. And so I just carried that until I was 30. And I started Mm -hmm. going to therapy. And I remember my therapist said, do you know that this isn't your fault? And I, you you know, I knew it wasn't my fault, but I didn't feel that it wasn't my fault. And when she said that, I just just started sobbing, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what the rest of the session was about. It was probably just me crying, just releasing that weight and that shame that I had caused this trauma, that it was my fault. Mm-hmm. It sounds by the way that you describe it, you seem to have a little bit of empathy for this person and the situation they were in because you as well were in a situation, obviously not in as powerful as a position, but I guess as uneducated about what was right and what was wrong in terms of being abused or being taken advantage of. I think when I now from a a place where I have had a lot of healing mm-hmm. and a lot of help I think I can look back on it, viewing it like kind of like through my mother eyes. Mm-hmm. And I can see this. I can see this person mm-hmm. who was just as hurt and and just as cut off as I was. Mm-hmm. And I've, I have had I've had chance to, you know, take responsibility for my own pain Mm-hmm. that was caused by this and and that gave me the power to heal. And so I I think now when I look back I see this person. Yes, they did this thing to me. Yes, it was wrong. Yes, it it traumatized me, but they were doing it from such a place of hurt as well. Mhm. I find that so interesting because I am a believer that the only person that anger that you hold on to is going to affect the anger that you hold on to is yourself because you live with the anger. Yeah. And so even for me, I like I was actually assaulted when I was 19, 18, 19. And obviously that was really fucked up. That person totally took advantage of me when I was not coherent you know like Mm -hmm. and somehow I feel like if I continue to hold that anger inside me the only person that's going to affect is me not him and so I don't know if I forgive him but I think that what they did was messed up so they must be messed up yeah in some way that maybe I won't ever understand fully or like be able to step in their shoes. And I actually hope that I never have to step in their shoes, you know? (laughs) Right, for sure. So I won't, I won't ever understand that, but I'm not, I don't want to be angry for the rest of my life. And I don't want to hold on to that pain for the rest of my life. If I'm not going to allow myself to live a life as a victim, then I have to let it go. Yeah. That's a heavy, heavy weight to carry when you're carrying all that anger. And, and I, you know, through my healing process, somebody helped me kind of visualize these chains that were attaching me to this person and, you know, even to my parents and help me visualize cutting that, cutting Mm -hmm. those chains and energetically taking on responsibility, even though it wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. And that helped me so much to say, okay, this is now my pain fully 
-hmm. I take full responsibility now to find healing. And as far as having, you know, understanding that they are messed up, I think when I heard Brene Brown talk about, you know, people are doing the best they can with what they have. And if they're doing really messed up things, then they don't have whatever Mm -hmm. they needed. You know, maybe they were abused. And so that really helped me understand and kind of look at people with empathy Especially now because, you know, I, w- I was so many of those things that I hated. Mm-hmm. Damn. <laughs> That's heavy. I <laughs> <laughs> Take a breath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in your transition to the real world, <laughs> was it a bit of an awakening? Was it hard to adjust at all? Can you elaborate a little bit more on, on that process? Yes. I kind of say that I feel like I'm just now an adult. You know, the last five years, I'm, like, learning the things that people learned when they were 18, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. Like what? Uh, <laughs> what was that? Like what? Like renting our first apartment. Okay. <laughs> uh, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, figuring out just how to reestablish ourselves. It was like we flew the nest. You know, most people do that at 18 or 20. Mm-hmm. We did that when we were in our mid-30s or mm-hmm. early 30s. So it's it's been... It's been a journey in that we have had to take little steps and see, okay, we're not going to die. We're all okay. Mm-hmm. Now let's do the next thing. Okay, we're still okay. And then I just, I slowly got, you know, my bravery got bigger and bigger. And I really kind of stepped into who I've always been. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm a different person. I just feel like finally I have zero fucks left to give. Yeah. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. And that feels that feels really good. <laughs> yeah. That feels like freedom too. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. So, okay. Renting your first apartment is a huge commitment, right? So that's probably something that like usually, even when you're 18, you have your parents helping you with, right? It's not something you have to do alone. Have you ever been outside of the U.S.? Yes, I, I have. I, I did a couple of mission trips within our okay. group. So okay. I, did, I did travel to a few other countries. It was very sheltered. I kind okay. of went and stayed with these missionaries and mm-hmm. so not really traveling so much mm-hmm. on my own. My other, you know, my brothers did. They they had the freedom to travel around Europe, backpack and things like that. Mm-hmm. Was there any like personal beliefs that you were like forced to reconstruct as you stepped away from the cult and from the community? Just about every single one. (laughs) (laughs) Everything from the way, you know, I believed about God, the way I believed about, you know, people of of other races and other colors, other sexual orientations, everything was on the table. And I was like, wait a Mm -hmm. second. Did you you end up walking away from religion at all? I definitely have walked away from religion. I would say I'm a very spiritual person. I believe in God. I believe that the creator, divine, whatever you want to say, Mm -hmm. I definitely believe in a higher power. I believe that we are connected to them, her, whatever you want to say. The energies. Yes. I'm just very, very okay with not knowing everything. Yes. And I think a lot of religions, you have to buy into their set of rules. And I'm not okay with that. Mm -hmm. I'm just, it doesn't feel right to me Mm -hmm. that there's only one true way. And if you just happen to be in this right group, good for you. And if you're not, well, see you in hell. Yeah. I know. I can't buy into this being shamed for doing something. Like, isn't there always going to be forgiveness, though? Like, am I not allowed to make mistakes because 
at the end of the day, like Jesus died on the cross for me to forgive me for my sins and forgive me for the things that like, uh, not me personally, but other people right. did. Right, <laughs> I understand. Right? <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I so, started like, to... Sorry, go ahead. Yes. No, and, and so like we're supposed to ask for forgiveness. So what's the point of asking for forgiveness if we're just constantly going to have this dark cloud of shame on top of our heads? Yeah, when I was coming out, I started to think... You know, I've only been on this planet, in this universe, for a couple of decades, you know, three decades at this point. How am mm-hmm. I supposed to know everything? And if I don't know the right thing, the person or the the being that created me is going to, you know, damn me to being tortured for the rest of my life? Yeah. That doesn't feel like a loving parent. And, you know, I was taught that God was like this loving father. I was like, that's not how I love my kids. That's not how yeah. I want to be loved. So maybe something's different yeah. And once I allowed myself to question, I started to learn from so many different people. And I I started to learn that it was okay not to know. You could just not know. And that was okay. Can you expand for me a little bit about like when it comes to race and sexuality or sexual orientation and even like where the value as a woman lies which you mentioned in the cult wasn't at a level that was parallel to men. It was below. How did those differ now being in the real world versus what you were taught? Yeah. For for race example, were there people other than Caucasian people in the cult? There were, mm-hmm. but they were treated very unkindly. Really? And they stayed? They did. Yeah. Um, and I can't speak as to why. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There weren't a lot. <laughs> I'll say yeah. that. There were not a lot. Um, and, you know, if you look at this group across the country, there's not a lot. And when did you I think was, this was natural, like, to treat people um, because of their race? I don't know if I ever thought about it. The group that I was in was not, I don't want to say outwardly racist because that's not the word I'm looking for, but they didn't say racist things. They mm-hmm. didn't use vulgar language. They didn't talk demeaning about others. It was this separation and it was this, we don't talk about it. Okay. We don't talk about differences. We don't talk about race. We're all human. We're all colorblind. Okay. But they would be treated differently. Right. At the time, I didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. For example, one time there was a joke made about a woman's appearance that was different from mine, you know, from the the majority. Mm -hmm. And we all laughed in in church. And looking back, I'm just, I'm like, oh my God, that's horrendous. Mm-hmm. It was so racist. You know, it was, I see this difference, but but don't worry about it. You'll be fixed in heaven, is, is what the joke was. Okay. And so wow. it, okay. at the time, I didn't realize that that was treating somebody badly. Mm-hmm. It was a joke. Everybody laughed. Mm-hmm. Um, um, they probably didn't. Looking back, I, I can see, oh my God, how differently they were treated. And, you know, when I left, I had people speaking to me about this and giving me books to read and... And I first had to realize how, you know, my my white fragility, how fragile I was around the talk of race and how scared I was of it. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are, even people who haven't been in that experience are like scared to talk about. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I think when I was, when I was realizing how uneducated I was and how racist I was, it was embarrassing. I was so embarrassed. Mm Mm-hmm. And I felt very, you know, very ashamed. And so I was just, I just. Well, I think that says something about your character because you can't obviously know anything that you haven't been shown or taught, right? So people are taught to be hateful. They're not born hateful. 
Right. Right. So if you feel shame for being hateful when that is wrong, but you never knew it was wrong because no one ever told you it was wrong, then you as a person are not necessarily a hateful person and you can course correct or you want to course correct. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like after that initial kind of awakening, I realized that I was like, okay, I've been taught this way by people who were taught that way. And so Mm -hmm. I can learn. And so then, you know, I went through a period of just silently listening and and learning. Mm -hmm. And I had to, it was a very humbling process, right? Listening to somebody say the way that you are acting is adding to the problem. Just because you're silent doesn't mean that you are not part of the problem. Yeah. So I've definitely learned a lot. I haven't arrived at all or I have so much more learning to do. Same here, girl. (laughs) Same here. (laughs) But I think I'm finally to the place where I'm not afraid Mm -hmm. to have a conversation with a person of color. And that feels really freeing Mm -hmm. to realize that it's okay not to know what you don't know. Yeah. And that the person of color is not afraid of this conversation. They have this lived experience. You're not going to shock them with anything. You're the, you know, I'm the one that's learning, not them. Yeah. And relearning. <laughs> yes. More so, you know, like you're you're reprocessing all the things that like you were taught when you were younger and now you're like relearning them. So you have to also have like a little bit of compassion for yourself and just allow yourself to be wrong or just don't bring your ego into it. That's that's how I found the, is the best method, at least for me, is like if I don't bring my ego into it, I accept that I am going to be wrong. <laughs> and that's that okay. the whole point of learning then yes. you know if I yes. say something that I obviously don't have any malicious intent to harm someone or like to emotionally provoke someone but if I do I'm immediately going to apologize because that was never my intention and I need to understand what what it was and how it came off. Yeah, I think if you go into these conversations or really in just life, mm-hmm. knowing that as humans, we make mistakes. That's how we learn. Yeah. You know, you you make a mistake and you're like, oh, that wasn't right. Let me redo it. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a lot of freedom to just live and make yeah. the mistakes and say, oh, that was a mistake. Okay, let's try again. Yeah, instead of living in fear of making the mistake. Right. And not and, learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Being afraid of being wrong, being afraid of feeling ostracized or, or that someone's going to make fun of you or that you're not good enough. It's like, mm-hmm. no, we're all learning. We are all figuring this out and we're all making mistakes. And if this group is not your people, there are other people out there. There are, you know, what is it, six billion people in the world now? Yes. Find a different group. <laughs> Yeah, find a different group. Yes. I, I'm guessing White Fragility is a book. I think it is a book. I didn't read that. I just read an article about how white, white okay. people are very fragile, talking about race. And it just it had listed all of these bullet points. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, I'm every single one. Oh, my God. I would, <laughs> if you still have that article, I would love to put it in the show notes. So okay, yeah, I'll try to find please it. Please send it my way. Okay, awesome. And so did this whole thing also stand true as well for sexual orientations? Yeah. So once I got out, like I said, everything was on the table. Mm-hmm. The, every belief I had, I was I was reevaluating as I was deconstructing my faith and figuring out what I actually believed and not what was handed to me. Mm-hmm. And I started to come to the understanding that if somebody's not hurting somebody, then who am I to say anything about 
their life. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of started that way where I was like, okay. maybe I don't agree, but you live your life and I'll live my life. Mm-hmm. And until I met somebody mm-hmm. and became good friends with somebody who was gay. And then I was like, wait a second. This person is like just a normal person living their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then again, I had to deconstruct what I had been taught and what I had been taught God thought about people. And I was like, that doesn't line up with a loving creator. And if if that's what I believe in, if yeah. I believe in, you know, in the divine that it's love, this doesn't line up. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, no, I'm going to put that belief to the side. And every time I would get rid of one of these hateful beliefs, it was like a big, fresh breath of air. A big burden yeah. had been lifted off of me. I didn't have to judge another person for something. Yeah. And that felt really good. Yeah. It must have also felt like when you walked away from the community and then those people that you walked away from was like, remember when you did this? And you were like, oh, yeah, like, I don't have to be like that anymore. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to be that person anymore. I might not know who I am, but I know who I don't want to be. Yes. You know, like that is a revelation of itself. That's such a good way of putting it. And yeah, every time something would change, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this feels better. This feels more true to who I am and who I want to be. Yeah. I want to also know, because obviously this was a huge thing holding you down, but your value as a woman, they were telling you that you're not as valuable as a man or that you're not able to provide as well as a man. So what did that relearning look like and it must have been empowering I mean like I can't think of any other word besides it was empowering. Very empowering. <laughs> yes yes <laughs> I would listen to the song brave and the song fight song mm-hmm. a lot during this time <laughs> it was like you know I had to like build up courage to do the things it really happened when I started to surround myself with really strong yeah. women and I started yeah. to see a different way of living mm-hmm. and I was like okay I don't know how to get there yet, but I know it's possible. Mm-hmm. And oh, I love that. Yeah. And, and those people aren't bad. Those women mm-hmm. aren't evil because they're living differently. And I started to see how so many people were choosing different ways of living that fit their family and that made them happy. And it kind of gave me this courage to be like, okay, I think I can live differently. I think we can live differently. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I am very outgoing. I have a lot of plans. I have a lot of visions that I want to, like, carry out. My husband is so laid back. (laughs) And we were trying to manipulate our family where he was this strong leader and I was this submissive follower, and it was not working. Yeah. And we were not really happy. And now we've embraced, like, okay, I come up with the big, bold dreams, and then together we carry them out. And it it's so much better. It's so much better when you everyone lives according to how they really want to be. Yeah. And yeah, I, I started to really read stories and watch videos and make friends with these really powerful, badass women. And once the crack happened and the light started pouring in, it was a snowball effect. You know, I, I yeah. knew I wanted to get there and I just did one thing after the other. Well, it sounded like that's exactly what happened when you found that Facebook group with that girl. It's like it was just that little crack you needed to like start picking away. Yes. <laughs> and and eventually the light came through and you're like, wait, now I'm going to question all of these things. Now I'm going to leave. Now I'm going to start turning towards myself and the things that I've done and, and find forgiveness for myself and ask for forgiveness from other people. And then 
continue on and relearn and not let the fear hold me back from embracing this new life of freedom and understanding who I don't want to be. Maybe not fully who I am yet, but who I don't want to be. And then slowly finding the courage to do regular things like a regular person would do, like (laughs) rent an apartment and... You know, like a regular person, start your own business. I know. You I are feel like a woman such who can a do that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel uh. like you know now that I get paid to help women be brave and to step into this like badassery, like whatever they want, I get to support them. And I'm just like, this is amazing. This is amazing that this is what I get it is to amazing. do. It is amazing, and I am here to support you. This is awesome. (laughs) Thank you. I have one last question, and then I will let you go because I know I've been keeping you. But do you have any advice that you can share with my listeners about overcoming fear when making a big life leap or decision? Find somebody who's completely supportive of you. Mm -hmm. Find somebody who can, yeah, who can just be there because it's scary. When you're making Mm -hmm. a big life choice, it's scary. When... A few years ago, my sister got diagnosed with cancer, and I went to visit her. Oh, I'm sorry and to hear that. Thank you. She is she is doing much better. I went to visit her for a month, and I just left my whole life behind. My kids, and I was homeschooling them, and I was mm-hmm. a nanny, and I was taking care of my house. I just left it all. I went to stay with her for a month, and the night that I was leaving, I was curled up in a ball crying on her floor, having a panic attack. And mm-hmm. she was like, if you don't figure this out— you're going to get sick too. And when I went home, I had a conversation with her and I had a conversation with this friend. And I was like, this is it. I can't live here anymore. I can't do this anymore. We're leaving. And Mm. we packed up our whole life. I mean, well, we sold most of it, packed it up into this tiny little U-Haul trailer and moved across the country. And having my sister and my friend be like, you can do this. My sister would send me messages. You are brave. You are so strong. You're going to change the world. And it was scary. But having yeah. somebody that didn't say, I don't know about that. That seems whatever. You know, Someone who scared themselves. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like. Yeah, mm-hmm. finding somebody who can support you in that. Whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, it could be a therapist. It could be a coach. It could be a really good friend. It could be somebody online that's outside of your regular life. Mm-hmm. I think finding that person. And I fundamentally believe that we are not supposed to do this on our own. We are not no. meant to be alone. And that, I mean, that's the core of my business to support other people when they're making these big changes. Yeah. Well, Melissa, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. But before I let you go, can you please let everyone know where they can find you online? So if they need that extra boost of help to make that big life leap, they'll know where to find you. Absolutely. I am online, melissalionwest.com on Instagram as well. And I have the signature program, which is my absolute favorite. It's called Grown Ass Woman. And it's 90 (laughs) days to release fear and guilt, embrace your worth and live boldly. And when I was leaving the cold, I was visiting this friend that helped me out. And I was sitting on her couch and her daughter walks down the stairs. She was an older teenager and she looks at her dad and says, hey, can I spend the night at so-and-so's house? And he was like, you're a grown-ass woman. Did you mean to ask me for a ride? And so she leaves. I raise my hand on their couch, and I'm like, how do I get permission to be a grown-ass woman? How do I do this? 
And so that's where the name comes from. And it's this program is everything I've learned in the last five years laid out step by step. And it's just, it's so amazing for me to see, you know, women come into the program when they, you know, are beaten down. And then just to see that moment when they really embrace who they are and that they're powerful and that they you know, they release the fear and they create a life they love. That sounds awesome. I'm going to make sure to also include that in the show notes, okay. which everyone can access through the description of this episode. So if you want quick access to all of Melissa's links and her program, you can get them through that link. So check that out. But thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on and sharing your story and for being so amazing with just the amount of stuff you're willing to share and also, you know, the ability to have so much self-compassion for learning and relearning and and also even forgiveness for your assailant when you were younger because even that to me is just kind of a miracle because you never <laughs> see that. And I've never really thought about it even though I know that for me personally, like I don't want to hold on to anger and even when I get into a fight with someone, like I might be angry for a little bit, <laughs> but I'm not someone who wants to carry anger in their heart. So it was really nice to see that that is even possible to like forgive someone that's hurt you on such a deep level that you can just find empathy for someone's fucked up situation <laughs> because that's obviously the environment they grew up in if they thought that something like that was okay to do. So I think you've been eye-opening to me even in that regard. And it gives me a lot to think about personally if in my situation. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me and giving me a space to share and just have so much. And, and your listeners, whoever hears this, just have so much compassion for yourself. You know, I spent a long time just very angry very bitter and it was messy and I just let it all hang out. And, you know, like I said before, I, I'm in no way arriving anywhere. I haven't like arrived, you know, but I do try to just have a lot of compassion. And I think that probably comes from knowing that I, like we talked about before, I was the villain in other people's stories. Mm -hmm. And so I think maybe that gives me, you know, I want people to have empathy and compassion on, on me. And so maybe that gives me a different viewpoint. Maybe. Well, thank you again. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. <laughs> Take care, hon. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Is That So podcast. For more information on this episode and all past episodes, you can check out my show notes on isthatso.com or follow me on Instagram at isthatso. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show your personal support to the podcast, simply leave a review on iTunes or screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your stories. All right, friends, that's it. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Is That So podcast, and I look forward to hanging out with you again soon.